Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am one of your co-hosts, John Robb. Of course, I am joined by my other gracious co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing great, and thanks uh, for inviting me to uh, your trip next when you go next week, right? Yeah, uh, February 17th, we are going to Thailand, and we'll be back on March the oh. 3rd. So it's going to be very entertaining. If you'd like to come along, please do. All right, let's do that. But space, okay, cool. But space space is limited in my trunk, so I don't know if you can handle my suitcase or not, but, you know, if you can, that's good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, hey, great guest tonight. Normally, I'm able to – normally, I've had this guest on, I think, for the last – I just counted for the last seven years for every book that has come out uh, on, our, on my Saturday morning show. But it's great that we're able to have none other than New York Times bestselling author Lisa Gardner on tonight with us talk about her latest book coming out called Look For Me, um, and it releases on February the 6th. So it is her 10th D.D. Warren novel. Very excited. So you ready? Well, I'm looking forward to this, and I'm so glad you're always ready, even though you're you're whining about how cold it is in Seattle and how warm it is down here, but that's okay. You know. Because I'm right. (laughs) That's true. Hey, but hey, Lisa, we want to thank you so much for coming to the show and classing it up a lot. So how are you doing tonight? <laughs> Good evening, Jeff and John. It is an honor as always. So how I got invited for this madness, I'll never know. Hey, you got invited, but you didn't have to accept. <laughs> <laughs> oh, two of my favorite men talking suspense. The night doesn't get much better. Yeah, thank you oh, so thank much. You. <laughs> so like I was saying, the – you're, and just gonna, we'll just jump into it because your 10th D.D. Warren okay. novel comes out here now, February the 6th. And then, of course, you had the short story. So 11 total written works that D.D. is now in. And the latest one is now called Look for Me. So yes. why don't you tell us what, what, what did you put her into this time? So Look for Me is another one of those kind of ripped from the headlines thrillers. In this case, an entire family has been murdered, except their teenage daughter is missing. Um, There's been several of these cases in real life. And one of the things I liked about is it is about 50-50. 50% of the time, the family was murdered to kidnap the girl. But 50% of the time, the other half, the teenage girl actually had a hand and her family's murder. And so I love from a law enforcement perspective, from Dee Dee Warren, how do you even approach such a case? This is, isn't it an Amber Alert? Or are you looking for a killer? Is she a victim? How do you even start breaking apart and trying to very quickly, because each second is critical when you have a missing kid, try to ramp up on what happened to this family and where did it all go wrong? Well, and it's it's intense. Which um, thanks for keeping me up all night. By the way, I'm just letting you know that in advance. But <laughs> one of the other characters you bring back, um, besides Dee Dee Warren, is Flora Dane, and I'm wondering why did you decide to bring her back? You know, it's interesting. In all the books I've written, I've never really had a plan. 
Like Detective Dee Dee Warren was never meant to be a serious character. Um, I stuck her in a book where I needed a Boston cop for a couple scenes, and just readers responded to her so strongly. It became, oh, well, how about a little bit more of her story? How about we do a whole book for her and then another and then another? And Flora Dane, who is my, they, they, we call her the victim term, the vigilante from Find Her, is another one of those characters that just seems to have struck such a chord with readers. I mean, she was once kidnapped for 472 days. She made it out, but there's a term survivors use. You know, she's a survivor, but she's not yet a thriver. And I think that very real struggle where the worst happened, she's supposed to feel safe, she's supposed to be living happily ever after, but she just can't find it. It's very kind of speaks to readers. And so again, this kind of sense of there's more story here to be told. And I really loved in Look For Me the dynamics between her and Dee Dee, which again, were not planned. It's just kind of how the book developed. Is, you know, Detective Dee Dee Warren is a pretty, you know, hard-ass cop. But, you know, for someone who just doesn't have boundaries at all, <laughs> he's, he's kind of like, ah, uh, not exactly how we get to do things. <laughs> you, know? Yep. you know, do you ever the Spencer for Hires, the Robert Parker books? Oh, yeah. The dyna- yeah, the dynamics between them as the book evolved started to remind me of Spencer and his, you know, kind of streetwise cop Hawk, or friend Hawk. That, you know, Flora's kind okay. of, she has the street knowledge. She has kind of a different take on how to get information, how to work the system because of her own experience. And then you have, you know, your detective, Dee Dee Warren. And I like that, that, that dynamic very much. As long as you keep Susan out of it, we'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so Dee Dee does have a new challenge. Because to me, I get bored with serious characters. If you're going to bring them back, you have to do something. So I, I feel like I've come up now with Dee Dee's all-time nemesis. For this book, Look For Me, she gets a puppy. And that oh. was so much fun for me to set up. I mean, this is this poor workaholic who didn't even necessarily want to get married, still is not sure how she ended up with a five-year-old, and now a puppy, too. It's like the domestication is happening despite her best intentions. And, you know, puppies love shoes, particularly leather shoes. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is basically her next Melvin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is what just not a pain in the shoulder, but a pain in the neck. So yes. pretty close, about the same yes. way. <laughs> and, 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 of course, her husband and her son are madly in love with the dog. The dog could do no wrong. And <laughs> he's like, uh. Yeah. <laughs> now, but the one thing that, fun. you know, the oh, one thing that's always. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, in my real life, I do a lot of work with rescue animals. And so one of the fun things for Dee Dee is her dog is Kiko, who is actually named in honor of um, two people who rescue Kiko in real life and in return for a very nice donation to the uh, local animal shelter. So Dee Dee meets her nemesis, but it's doing good for the greater animal community, too. Oh, nice. Now, I was going to say, because a lot of your books run... Yeah, now, a lot of your books run off a lot of character emotion. You always like to, to, to... to to kind of uh, dive or you know dive into the psyche of you know characters and that's you know you've done this again. 
So how difficult is it to kind of take your own maybe emotions out and let your character speak to you when you put them in these kind of predicaments that are really hard emotionally for them to, for them to handle at times? Well, I feel like I am a psychological writer. Like I do love to research with law enforcement, and it was a lot of fun, all the various things I got to learn for this book. But what appeals to me about suspense and particularly about these you know, domestic situations where you have a family where you know, the daughter's gone, the other family's been murdered, something terrible has clearly happened. It's, you know, what is a family? Like it's even one of the themes that runs through the book. What is the perfect family? And it's that psychology that... I love, and I think as readers, we relate to, and particularly Flora as someone who is a survivor and been through this huge trauma and now is trying to assist other survivors who've gone through some pretty intense ordeals. Her psychology is dark, but what I like about the books is she is trying to find her way toward the light. She's, and I I think that it keeps it readable. And I think this may be the appeal of Flora. A lot of us, I mean, we're not necessarily kidnapping survivors, but we're kind of going through everyday life still trying to figure out, you know, how to be happy, how to feel connected to other people. I think it's just kind of a theme right now for a lot of people. We're we're more populated. We have more social media than ever before, but people struggle with feeling disconnected. And I think that makes Florida – Flora very real and her desire again to get it right to figure it out you know you want to go on that journey with her because we all hope that you know we can find some sort of happily ever after well I, I kind of want to follow up on, on that because um, I was thinking you know uh, Pixar movies always make me fall like a baby <laughs> and you you write about such Hard and somewhat grim topics at times, and I'm wondering Uh, how do you personally, how do you personally, uh, don't let it affect you. Hang on one second. (laughs) We got an audience, baby. We got a live studio audience. Yes, really. You know, this is, if you have three dogs, dog owners will get this. The dishwasher changed cycles, and clearly everyone uh, <laughs> needs to yeah. bark at that. So I'm sorry. If Jeff, you even, if you even play knock in my house, my dog crows crazy like there's someone ready to come into the house. It's like, no, 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 no one's coming. My question was, since you write about such traumatic stuff, how do you yeah. personally not let it affect you? Um. Again, I think you're looking at it from the perspective of problem solving. But I also, I did a lot of research with these victim advocates from the FBI. And one of the things that really struck me when talking, interviewing with them is, if you've met one victim, you've met one victim. Everyone's story is different. Everyone's story is unique. And everyone has it in themselves to survive. And it's for a lot of the research I do that's really dark, I mean, in real life, certainly we have lots of cases of, you know, girls who've been kidnapped and held for, you know, over 10 years, over 20 years. But everyone has it in them to survive. And everyone has it in them to build a better life. And when you start talking to all these experts and the FBI profilers and all this stuff, I, don't, I, I find at the end of the day it's a very heartening message. And I think we sometimes read suspense 
because that is what we're looking for. You know, we're looking for the good guys to win. And the good guys win because their coping skills are better, because they do find a way inside themselves to survive, because everyone can survive. And, you know, speaking of survive, and then you talk about riffing the headlines, what's that crazy yeah. shit about that family holding all those people hostage? I mean, as an author, you look at something like that going, the wheels are turning, because that's stranger than the fiction <laughs> about what we just heard, I, about what's going on. You know, I, I, and that's I just what we know. Think, <laughs> yeah. I, I often think, you know, I'm never going to run out of book ideas because real life is stranger than fiction. And, um, you know, all writers have their little, you know, procrastination habits that we try to call, you know, work. And for me, it's definitely following true crime cases and obsessively, you know, following cases like this on the news. And you tell yourself, I'm working, I'm working. Um, it'll be a book someday. <laughs> it's just not the right. book I'm writing right now. But I think the other appeal to suspense that we all like to read it is because in real life, we're never going to get the answers. What the hell is going on in the house? Right? Yeah. It's like, it's in the news, in the news. And then it just kind of disappears and it's like but but wait <laughs> you know yeah. I, and i think you know that's one of the appeals for any of us who follow a lot of true crime is at least in our suspense novels at the end okay this is what happened why and here's the sense of resolution and i always think it's funny someone told me this a long time ago but i think it's true in a thriller you cannot arrest the bad guy they must be killed they must die and it's because in real life we don't consider someone you know getting arrested and going to trial as resolution. <laughs> you know, yeah. We want our bad yeah. guys dead. <laughs> you know, that's closure. Or at least for the sequel and then kill him in the second book. Yeah, yeah, but, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you just got to imagine. I mean, it's just the crazy crap. That, I mean, when you first heard that story, uh, you just have to say this, this can't be true. I, I mean, that's just the crazy stuff that goes on, and then and then you're starting to write, and then you're starting to look around. And you're like, I, I, I mean, the, the the juices start flowing, and it's just like I, I don't get all this. I, this is just too nuts. Just, just too, well, too a lot crazy. of the research I did for Look for Me was in families, and I like mm-hmm. to come up with something new for each novel. And in the case for Look for Me, it was. CASA, I don't know, they're the child advocacy group that works for kids that have generally been removed from the home. And so a CASA advocate works for the kids. So in the court system, the best way of describing it is, you know, child services, you know, is working for the state. And then you'll have the parent and like basically the defense attorney sitting to the other side of the courthouse. And CASA sits with the children in the middle and tries to explain to them you know, this is why you're no longer with your parents, or this is why you're in foster care. This is why you and your siblings are in three different foster care situations. Um, This is how you can communicate with each other. And I had a neighbor who was doing it, and it's such the story she had to tell about the family she's working with and and, and the, the, the real, real dynamics of a family that's been ripped apart and the parent is trying and trying to get back together, but what it does to the kids and what that experience feels like to the children where all the adults are trying to tell you this is for your own good. But, uh, 
you also have no say in what's going to happen next. And that's what sets the stage for Look For Me. Very quickly, you know, Dee Dee gets to learn this is a family where the three kids were put in foster care. They've only recently all been reunited, and it looked like the mom was the success story. She had been an alcoholic or is an alcoholic, I guess, but, you know, had gotten her act together, except if everything's great and they're all doing their best, Okay, so what happened? Because now they're all dead. And I like that kind of sense, too, of, of there's a lot going on in this family. There's very, very intense dynamics. And any good de- detective has to, again, very quickly try to uncover all the secrets at once. It, it's such a good book. So, but um, <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned earlier uh, Dee Dee Warren became a serious character, but that wasn't planned. And you mentioned a couple other things that wasn't planned. So I have to ask, how much do you plan? <laughs> oh, this is always where I feel like I get ratted out. I really don't. <laughs> I started the next book, and it's Dee Dee and Flora, too. Um, I plan that because I have 100 pages, so I know that much. There we go. <laughs> um, well, I guess do you me, outline them? or? Yeah, for me, it always does start with a crime. So look for me, I wanted to do something with this scenario because it just fascinated me. You know, the best way to learn about a family is, you know, to be able to talk to the family. So if they're all dead and the other one's missing, as a police, how do you even begin to unravel this? And I like that ambiguity of, again, Detective Dee Dee Warren is searching for a teenager who could be a killer or could be a victim. I mean, she has really no way of knowing and it's that real-life scenario that got me started. And so then I went to the detectives and, you know, friends I've made over the years. How would you approach this? And it never gets boring because police procedure is changing all the time. I mean, it was fascinating. This time around, they're like, well, the first thing we do is post on Facebook. I'm like, seriously, you're a detective, and the first thing you do is post on Facebook? And they're like, oh, yeah, we get leads all the time now through social media. Like Boston PD is yeah. huge. <laughs> They're, they're solving cases yeah. by posting videos and people are identifying them on social media. It's like, okay, I wouldn't, wouldn't have thought that. So when the pool, those interviews start giving me, Jeff, basically like a bare bones plot. Because I think in a thriller, you always want your detective doing, you know, the smartest next move. You know, this is the most logical thing to do. And then you have to start coming up with some complications. But this is the part I don't plan. I didn't know what had happened to Roxy. I didn't know was she a killer or was she a victim. I didn't know what had gone wrong with her family. I knew that they had fallen apart once. I knew they were trying really hard to heal now. And I also know that clearly something went wrong. But the writing process for me becomes trying to figure that all out. Why the police procedure is kind of at least the logical next step so I have some sense of what I'm doing when I show up in the morning. (laughs) Right. Well, now, have you ever watched that show, The First 48? Because The First 48, yes. the cop, one of the cops on there literally said, I don't know what I would do if there wasn't social media for these criminals because they're so stupid. Yeah. And he's so, yeah, they, so when you talked about social media, I mean, he literally got on yeah. there and he was like, oh, yeah, we went on Facebook and we found her friends. And it's like, oh, there's a guy named Mike. That's probably the guy that she was talking about. And well, boom, you know, they printed oh. it off. There it is. It's like, yeah, that's Mike. <laughs> One of the things that was actually took me the most to work out and look for me was it's almost impossible not to be able to find someone. So if you have a missing teenager in a city where there's cameras everywhere, 
and and, everywhere. and people's cell phones. Yeah, and you're broadcasting Amber Alerts everywhere. I mean, the hardest part became how could they not find her? Because clearly on page two, if they yeah. find her, it's not much of a book, right? <laughs> right. And, and that story. part kind of became really a great puzzle and a challenge in and of itself. What could have happened to this girl? Where could she be that no one would be able to see her in, a, in this day and age when we are surrounded by eyeballs? And that was really a lot of fun to have to try to think up. Yeah, yeah. Because you see those criminals on there when they sit there and they say, um, yeah, we got video of the parking lot and we know who you are. They're like, yeah. they look dumbfounded like, what do you mean video? Like they, it's like they've never heard of a camera before. And I just crack up and I'm like, yeah, dude, there's cameras everywhere. Wherever you go, there's cameras everywhere. What do you mean, of course, there's video if you're doing it in the parking lot of a gas station? <laughs> yeah, when I was talking to the detective, I mean, he was like the hardest part in a major breaking case, like, you know, a, a crisis situation, uh, an Amber Alert situation, is there is literally too much data now. He's like, that's, yeah, I mean, for all those cameras, for all of the tips pouring in the hotline, for all of the available sources of information, you still need the manpower to go through them, and they need to be educated. Like, you, he was talking about how you deploy the right detectives because, like, you know, we have some that are just, they're visually so good. I mean, they can go through streams of video very fast and very rapid fire, see what they need to see. But he's like, it's almost too much to be able to manage. It's not like the old days where you're just like, if only someone would phone us with a lead. <laughs> right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, I have, I have a question, because the hot thing right now, a lot of that you see with authors, is a lot of co-writing going on. And that's something that you've never done. Is that something that no. you haven't been approached to do? Or is that just something you're just not interested in or just haven't found the right uh, you know, job, I guess you want to say, or the right co-writer to kind of that you want to work with? No, I, I feel like what a writer is bringing to the table is her, his or her voice. And... I mean, that's me. That's me writing the story. I mean, I love to read thrillers. The market's filled with thrillers. Our plots aren't terribly unique. I mean, you're going to kidnap someone. You're going to murder someone. I mean, mean, what's going to go wrong in a thriller is somewhat a given. It's how you tell the story that sets it apart. And so from that perspective, that's my job. So I can't imagine having a co-writer. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. And I guess maybe going to Jeff's point, since I never know what I'm doing anyway, I mean, how can I sum it out? <laughs> I have to show up to know what's going to happen next. So as long as I'm there, I might as well write it. You know? <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Your co-writer is now bald. Uh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I I've been a writer now for 25 years and the thrillers themselves have evolved. And that's been some of, cause I have evolved and my interests have evolved. One of the things that I really liked about look for me was having a teenage character was having this intense kind of woman girl writing these essays about this family that I think become very poignant and powerful. She's so, she feels so helpless as a teenager about what's going wrong with her mom and the drinking and her siblings are now like her little brothers in an entirely different house. And some of that comes because I now have a teenage daughter and, you know, I'm, you know, getting to see these, uh, you know, I'm reading more young adult with her and you get more experience with these stories. And, you know, now that's the kind of stuff I'm more interested in writing. So 
I keep finding new things to be interested and write about. I can't stop now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> does your daughter like John Green like my daughter does? Absolutely. Oh, you know, and our new favorite yeah. book is The Hate You Give, which isn't John Green, but was one of the books he highly recommended last year. Oh, okay. Um, I, I'm going to pass I, that on to her. Thank you. Oh, it's, my daughter it's, loves it's it too. absolutely yeah. great. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I still, my favorite part of being a novelist is books. I love to read them. Um, what is, I just finished The Ark for Barbed Wire Heart, which is a debut novel that's just absolutely, you will love it when it comes out. There's just so many great books out there. Um, let's see, a local cool. author from Maine, Paula M- Mounier, I wrote a book, a great thriller in Maine with two uh, working dogs in it, a search dog and a, a explosive dogs, and that was just fabulous as well. Um, just in my household, we read all the time. As everyone shows up. <laughs> and all of you exactly. people listening out there, go read. <laughs> well, um, we're almost finished and run out of time here, and we appreciate you doing this, but I have one final question for you. Okay. Since the next book is your 20th under the name Lisa Gardner, I'm wondering, yep. since you mentioned it was Dee Dee and Flora again, are you doing something extra special because it's going to be your 20th book? All right, you're going to laugh at me. I didn't know it was my 20th book. Till you she didn't told plan me. that, Jeff. Didn't you hear? <laughs> <laughs> there's a ghost, she doesn't plan. <laughs> I don't count that's, that's them. That's true, Everyone yes. Everyone else does. I mean, when you started with saying this is your 10th DD war, and I'm like, oh, that could be right. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, double digits, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't pay attention. I'm just writing the next one. You're just writing the next next. <laughs> I mean, okay. the funny thing is, is that oh, okay. the book you're talking about, you finished what nine months ago, probably nine to ten months ago. You're already on to the yeah. next one, but now you're having to go back and relive this one. Yeah, that's the hard, that, that's the but weird this, part. But this is fun, Jeff. I didn't realize it was the twentieth. I'm going to have to think about it now. Oh, oh well, actually, that also puts oh. a lot of pressure on me. Thanks a lot. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> I, I, I'm either sorry or you're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That is well put. <laughs> huh? Twenty. Wow. Who knew? You know, when you, we all start yeah. out in this crazy business, who knew? You're just so grateful to get the first book sold, and then you know, since your mom bought that copy, you got to write a second. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know. To be able to reach the point to where you know, well, I'm here. I mean, uh, I'm just going to ask my, you know my last little question because you love true crime so much. Is there some, is there a case that you would love to maybe do a true crime book? Um, you know, I you know, know like I Patricia Cornwell did her, her Ripper stuff. Yeah. So, is there a, one that yeah. you would maybe like to do? I love historical fiction, so that aspect actually might intrigue me. I'd have to think about it. The friends I have are true crime writers. Oh, the amount of fact checking, cooperating—it's, I mean. It's a totally different ball game in terms of, again, I'm someone who's much more driven by the psychology of crime. What is the nature of evil or how do good people end up doing such terrible things? Um, true crime is kind of a different ball game from that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Lisa, we want to thank you so much for coming on. We know it's late. You need to get uh, some rest. You have been working on Keurig right now, so it's good. Um, but the book comes out, everybody. <laughs> So you got to get it because it comes out in February 6th, wherever books are sold and however you want to read it or listen to it, it'll be available. Um, the website's probably the best place for people to find. They're they're clapping. It's a standing ovation for 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 the interview. There we go. We got it. Um, 
Secret Life of Pets. And um, yeah. is, is your website your the best place for people to find out? LisaGardner.com is the best place for people to find out? Yes. And um, you can follow me on Facebook, Lisa Gardner Books, and um, all social media. Yep, and I just tweeted out the show, so you'll see that on your little notification. <laughs> yes, yeah, great, perfect. Thank you so much, John. There you go. So, hey, we want to thank you for joining us. It's been fantastic. Thank you again. We'll see you in another year, right around the same time, back on the show. So have fun on your tour. Good luck with the book, and, you know, stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you so much, both of you. Bye. Uh, We'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks. So, again, everybody, that is Lisa Gardner with her pets, and we are so happy that we were able to have her on. That was great, Jeff. Good good one for you on that one. But um, to be able to talk to her here on a nice late Tuesday night for her on the the East Coast, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night where she's at right now, so that was great for her to carve out some time. I was so happy she could join us. That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and, you know, and to be able to just talk Dee Dee Warren and all of her past and some of those things, it's just great to, you know, hear it from, uh, like you said, somebody, she, like she said, been doing it for 25 years, her 20th book is coming out. I mean, and you can, you can, you, and, and when, when you hear her talk, the one thing that I think a lot of young authors should realize is that she, does, she knows her subject matter and she knows her book so well, that's why she's on book 20, people. Okay, the research and the thought and and the work that she puts into her novels, it's not half-assed, and that's why she's on 20 books, and that's why she can pretty much write whatever she wants, and her publisher will publish it, because she's on that level now, and anybody can get there. And she also she also writes such really amazing psychological stuff that very easily could be unreadable, but she makes it readable, and in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. Without a doubt, I mean, the, I, I, I mean, you know, you have there's a handful of authors. You know, Sandra Brown, um, you know, is one of those authors who does it. I think Alison Brennan is definitely in that um, realm to be able to do that. Lisa Jackson's another one who is kind of in that realm. So you have, you know, a handful of great, and I, and you know, Karen Slaughter. And the reason why I'm naming the, you know, the the women is because you have a lot, and I don't understand why. There are some men, quite a few men, who are very reluctant to pick up a female thriller writer. And it's like, stop looking at the name and just read the book, and you won't know if it's a male or a female writing this. And you'll it's be good writing. Who the hell cares? I'm sorry. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of these authors, like you know Lisa and some of these others. Um, I guess Erica Spindler, you know, even Sandra Brown, and you know, they all had to start writing romance before they were able to kind of jump into the realm that now they're comfortable in and kind of writing. And I think that that's really bad because it's not like, yeah, it's not like you're asking a man to say you have to write about you know sports for five books and then you can start writing thrillers. So I don't understand that mentality, and I think men, you know, mainly men who do that have to get over themselves and stop with, and stop with their stupid attitudes, um, because they're, what they're doing is they're just missing out. I mean, they're really just missing out on their own. If all they're like, oh, I'm not going to read a, you know, a book like that, and that, it's like, you're, you're a moron. You're, I mean, you're just a moron, is what you are. Um, so, yeah, I, it's just, and like I said, when you hear her and when you talk to her, you can literally just hear the enthusiasm and the depth to which she, you know, writes. And that's why she's so great. 
Absolutely. Oh. Um, well, I did it today. I'm going to let you know because I know we're going to we're not going to stay on too much longer because there's really not a lot we're going to talk about right now. But I did it. I signed up for my trial uh, on CBS Access, and I'm going to start watching huh. Discovery. I guess it's what 12 episodes in right now, right? Yes. That's what I saw. And I, uh, I look forward to hearing what you think. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I started doing was I, you know, I, I started uh, with a little Perry Mason because I love Perry Mason. And <laughs> what, what's funny when I hear Perry Mason is I'm sitting there, because Perry Mason, he's a lawyer, but he's really a detective when you boil it down. I mean, let's face it. I mean, he has Paul Drake doing his stuff, but he's really a detective. And when you watch Perry Mason, it was like really one of the first whodunits. Because the mystery and everything is there. You just have to try to solve the crime with him, which was a little different with Columbo when they flipped it and you knew who it was. Columbo knew who it was. Now he was just trying to piece it together to, to actually get the evidence on the person. And, yeah, I love Perry Mason, man. I thought that he was fantastic, and this was a great, great series. And it's on CBS, like 123 episodes. That's a lot of, that's a lot of hours. Holy shit. Yeah, but uh, you're absolutely right. It was a great show. I enjoyed it myself. I haven't watched them all, but I've watched a bunch. And I think he did 23 movies when he got older um, after he stopped, and then he came back and he did like 23 movies, and those movies are excellent too. You can see where he gained a little bit of weight, um, but it was fantastic. And so, yeah. But I'm curious to see Discovery, so... I will definitely let you know. I will be watching it, and I'll have a. I'll probably be watching, you know, three or four episodes at least before our next show, and then I'll be in and be able to, uh, you know, commentate on that one for the first time. Get into a little Star Trek uh, action. Yeah. Uh, now, are we going to have another show before you head off to uh, the uh, Great Beyond? Yeah. Um, because let's see, what's the date? Well, we got here. Today's what the twenty third. Um. Yeah, we'll probably do February sixth, and then that will be it until I get back. Okay. All right. Yeah. We will uh, uh, line yeah. up oh, someone you know for what? February sixth. Actually, actually, we can't do the sixth. We have to do February thirteenth because I have my grand. Because my daughter is leaving out of town from the first to the twelfth, and so we're babysitting our granddaughter. And you know, we've been out of practice from babysitting a nine, uh, she'll be 10 months, 10 month old at that time. So we should probably not do it while she's here, just in case. Because <laughs> this yeah. is about okay. like bedtime. Great. So we'll so, line up somebody for yeah. the first 13th. Yeah, so we'll all wait the 13th. And then I'll be back. Yeah, and then I'll be back. But yeah, because Shannon and I are just don't know, you know, she's so, oh my God, I'm telling you, man. It, you, I, I can't explain it, but I know that you know. I know you've talked to people who have grandkids, but when your kids start having kids in like the next three years, <laughs> just joking. Uh, no, <laughs> I was wondering if you catch it. I mean, when you have your first grandkid, you're literally—it's an experience that you will never. It's—it's—I mean, it's—it's—it's just—it's different. It's different when you had your first kid to when you have your first grandkid. Not that I mean, not that of course you know you, you love them anymore. It's just a matter of now you love your grandkids more. But it's just a matter of it's just a different feeling because now you're a little older. You've kind of been through it, and now it's just it's it's, it's tough to explain. It's just a totally different feeling. So we're very excited to be able to have her for those twelve days and you know all to ourselves. That's good. 
That's awesome. So until um, February 13th, we'll have to uh, look and we'll have to book somebody fantastic. It's too bad we weren't able to have the mystery guest on tonight. We're not even going to mention who it was um, because that will just blow people's minds if we had Lisa Gardner and the mystery guest on. But they're on vacation. You know, they didn't want to do any work. They just wanted to hang out and be like, I don't really want to do any work and talk about my stuff. But it would have been fantastic. (laughs) I totally get it. Yeah, I totally get it too. But, all right, man, you stay cool and stay out of the rain. Get an umbrella. Um, Unless it snows, then you don't really need an umbrella. You know. True. But (laughs) I'll I'll have to change my shorts and I'll have to put on sweatpants now, damn it, because it's cold here. Oh, I'm so sorry you're freezing. Yeah, I know. Hey, you know, sweatpants and sweatshirt, that's that's about as cold as I get. That's about, that's about as much clothes as we have to put on down here, I mean, to tell you the truth. It did get to 48 at night, but we just stayed inside, you know. People say, oh, L.A. doesn't have four seasons. I'm like, yeah, we got seasons. We just got rid of all the shitty ones, you know. Now, you guys have four seasons, and it's called a hotel. <laughs> it's, it's true, it is. It's called, it's called extremely hot, then it's called... Marine layer, then it's called rain, and then it's called very. Then then it's, then it's just called beautiful. So you know we get 340 days or 300. I think it's 340 days of sun. I mean, that's I mean it's insanity. But that's why everything grows here. I mean I got a freaking massive orange tree in my back that I'm now doing fresh orange juice. I'm going out and squeeze and I'm got a juicer and doing the. Orange. It's fantastic, man. Oh, love it. All right, we've downgraded now after Lisa, so <laughs> we should probably go. <laughs> but well, thank um, you again, Lisa, right. for doing the show. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Lisa. And uh, again, I tweeted it out so people can find it. But again, we just want to remind you, LisaGardner.com is the website, and her book is called Look for Me. It's the latest in her Dee Dee Warren series, and it comes out February sixth. Yeah, so you can pre-order it, and then it comes right into your, you know. Um, if you get the Kindle or you order it, whatever, on Amazon, you'll get it on the day. So um, go ahead and do that now. February 6th is when it comes out. So until next time, everybody, like Lisa said, and like we always say, keep reading. We'll see you all next time. Have a good one.